get beheaded because you didn't take the mark of the beast? Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens. He's trying to alter our DNA by giving us vaccines. These elite Satanists are the psychoists. They're preparing our bodies to accept the microchip. Can you imagine walking into a Wells Fargo? Not being able to withdraw money because you ain't got a barcode on your right hand or your forehead. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you're going to fall to the floor dead. Head cut off. Our own government acting like Nazi Germans They want us to live in fear, filled with uncertainty One world government, under one currency I can categorically say that this is end times This virus is breaking us down, just like an enzyme There's pedophiles, leaving men and women childrenless These politicians are dummies and the devil's a ventriloquist All this evil stemming from Epstein's island Gavin Newsom ain't your governor, he's a tyrant He took away everything that makes us happy and vibrant And put a mask on us Sitting in the park in the heat, stomach empty, starving to eat, palms are sweaty, heart starting to beat. About to get beheaded because you didn't take the mark of the beast. Bill Gates doesn't care about black teens, he's trying to alter our DNA by giving us vaccines. These elite Satanists are the psychoists, they're preparing our bodies to accept the microchip. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Josh and Jason Monday Christian and Conspiracy Podcast Show. I am your host, Josh Monday, and uh, today we're going to be having a special guest. Uh, she's actually a returning guest, Sophia Smallstorm. How are you doing, Sophia? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, so we last time we got into some pretty deep stuff, um, this time... Um, okay, so I kind of wanted to, before I started, before we started, I just want to say, first of all, thank you, Sophia, um, because, you know, you're definitely an awesome researcher and you make me want to kind of dig deeper into a lot of different stuff as well. When I, um, when I kind of listen to your stuff and, and read some of your newsletters. Yes. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Definitely make, make me think more. So, um, so today, um, today we're going to be going over um, kind of the East India Company and kind of how it compares, you know, to how that company compares to um, AI or, you know, like the Facebooks, the Instagrams or the Twitters of today. Is that, is that what we're going to go over today, Sophia? Well, yes, that was the content of my April 2021 newsletter. Um, I also covered the attempt on the part of AI developers to uh, create consciousness in these technological models of, for instance, humans. So I don't know if you read that part. Uh, the was that was that at the very end? No, that was the first. Um, the first. Okay, so pages. that was the first. That was the first uh, the, the first gentleman's essay the that you were referring to. Yes. And then, um, yes. So, which is pretty, which is pretty interesting. And, and, uh, as far as creating consciousness in a, in a, you're talking about like transhumanism or creating consciousness into a, like taking someone's consciousness and putting it into, uh, um, is that what you're talking about, Sophia? No, I'm talking about modeling humans 
technologically, mm-hmm. which is what did you watch any of the AI baby videos? Yes, I watched both. Blog? I watched both of those, uh, both of his videos. Yes, and they were they were definitely very interesting. It was uh, it was Rahiv, right? No, that's oh, so it was the other one. Company. Oh, okay. I watched two of those. I didn't get to watch the other two. All right. So you're a Christian, right? Yes. And so are a lot of your listeners. This is why this is important to people like you, okay. I would guess. Because AI is trying to model human behavior. And they are modeling it in in a two-dimensional setting. They have mapped out. This is what the beginning of my newsletter went into. Okay, I do remember now. in the brain, the muscle, the skin. And I on a flat now. screen, they mm-hmm. can create what looks like a human being. And then if you peel the layers away through their programs, their software, you can see the connections of neurons. So the thing works exactly like a human face or human entire being, except it's not in 3d it's only modeled as 3d right yes so they have taught these models to speak and respond and generate conversation and even thoughts in a sense like human beings do so this is and when you put these models in front of audiences and you show you project a 3d computer simulation to Mm -hmm. an audience and it looks like a little girl that's human and it talks like a little and its eyes fill with tears and it's just a computer program. They react as though it is a little girl. Wow. Okay, human so I am. Are, yes. I, I'm sorry. I really. OK, so I dug deep into the East India thing. But yes, I am. I, I am remembering now. So you're talking about like there's like a little girl on the screen and they can see the like they can actually see like different different facial features that, that they make as she reacts to him. Right. You can talk to the little girl. That's a computer animation. Wow. So the guy who is, who set up this lab, his name is Mark Sagar or Sagar. He's from New Zealand. Okay. And he won an Oscar for his animation in the movie Avatar. Did you see that movie? Yes, I did. I did see that so movie, So that was yes. all CGI, right? Yes. So he went ahead and set up a lab and started to build models of the brain, connecting them with models of the face using bioengineering, neuroscience, and computer graphics. And he's given talks about this. And what they're, what they're trying to create is the real-time experience of speaking to another human being. Because the future is going to be the pairing of human beings, not just with artificial intelligence within their bodies, mm-hmm. but with AI in the form of human um, ambulatory, which means walking, human mm. type creations made of like soft rubber. I mean, already in Japan, these are like robots. M- men are being shown human like robots and they like to have them as companions. Oh, wow. Yeah, people are (laughs) caught up in how amusing this is. And a robot is not like a real person. It has a different range of response. But what they're trying to do is make the robot as much like a human being as possible. Wow. And they're trying to figure out how to model consciousness in that robot. 
Wow. So that's interesting. So they're trying to get it as close to uh, to a human as possible. Um, wasn't there like an AI that they created where they asked they were asking her questions and then she ended up saying that um, she wanted to take over the world or something like that? And then they're like, oh, did, did, did you ever see that video? Well, there is a robot called Sophia. Okay. Me, obviously. <laughs> so maybe you're tra quoting something loosely that has to do with a response that she gave. Yeah, she yeah, gave a, and, a kind of an interesting response of uh, of what maybe we could look forward to in the future if we do start making these robots closer to a human. You know. And Saudi Arabia gave that robot citizenship. Mm, wow. So that was a big step. So when these robots are are created and they start walking around among us and we claim them as roommates and companions and family members will they be awarded human status wow yeah that is pretty interesting stuff that is really interesting because and also they the thing about them is whenever you know whenever the government gets a hold of something like this the government doesn't think about making companions you know the government would be thinking about making super soldiers that could help. Uh, I mean, this is what I think. I mean, I always think about that because I was in the military. Um, don't you believe that they would probably try to make weaponize this instead of just having them just be little companions? Having them be companions is weaponizing the technology. It still when is. When you yes. create a companion that a man would choose a robotic companion over a human companion, what have you done to the you family, the potential of a nuclear real human family what now, have you done are they companioning are you talking about like they want to make them their girlfriend or something is that what you're saying yes oh yes. okay so i am um my mind was thinking you were talking well i guess a companion would be like that i'm sorry i was thinking like they just have them around they're having fun with them they're kind of testing them out but okay if they're looking to have them like that yeah that is definitely and that's also i mean as a as a christian if you guys think about it you know that's definitely going against what God would want for sure. You know, that's because it's just it's a it's something fake or it's like an idol almost. Um, if you look at um, in the in the Bible, it's you know idol worship is, is is not good. So that person is worshiping a a man man made created machine. So that is definitely against the Bible for sure, one hundred percent. So I could I could see how that is that is no good for sure. Well, if you look back at the way our culture has evolved. Um, I'm sure you're aware that for a couple of decades, men have been very badly represented mm -hmm. in movies, television shows, newspapers and magazines and television news will tell you how dangerous it is to, you know, for women because men are, are attackers, they're violent, they're sexual predators, all of that. So... Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, do you think that has contributed to the breakup of the nuclear family, the rise in divorce? This is called polarizing the sexes. Well, okay, so the rise in divorce and everything, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, factors. Uh, some things, you know, like um, a lot of the stuff that they put on TV that, uh, you know, there's a lot of different stuff. Like they, they put like sports out. So, so guys are like addicted to like a sports team or they're addicted to fantasy football they're addicted to drinking with their buddies on the weekends to watch football. Um, and from a Christian perspective, you could think of that as they put it on a Sunday. So they take the man out of the church. Um, so the way I think of it on, on my spiritual level is the way that they're breaking up families is God made it so that a man should be the spiritual leader of the home. 
and he should be teaching his family about the word of God and he should be leading them instead of letting the wife lead. So what happens a lot is um, the man is working so much and concentrating so much on making money and on his career that he's not concentrating on what the wife needs or what the family needs. So there's a few different aspects. And then when the man is working so much that he thinks that he deserves to be able to go out with his friends and drink on the weekends or drink at night every night when he comes home because he's tired, I think that helps on breaking up the family home, in my opinion. That's that's how I feel, you know, in in that in that area. Sophia, that's no, part of it. No, those are great points. Very, very well made. Yes, you're absolutely right. And now they have women working as well because oh. the cost of living keeps going up. So you need two um, yes. sources of money yes. to afford things, to keep your children in clothes and activities um, that other kids have, right? Yes. So it's all very difficult. But slowly, over time... Our dependence on technologies, our addiction to them, our fondness of being present on these technological platforms like Facebook and Google and giving up all of our information mm. to these platforms. You know, in the old days, a lot of people thought that your personal data was being collected or gathered or mined for commercial reasons that marketers yes. would use this and there would be development of new products and those products might be directed at you in particular or people like you but the fact is that this is bigger than that it, the artificial intelligence world and the people who are in it want to know as much gather as much data as they can about human beings to train AI to become like human beings in the most a wide, wide uh, range of nuances. Mm. So this is called machine learning. Yeah. Wow. And when you submit data and you are surveilled and every move of yours is recorded by artificial intelligence, which is hooked into your life at so many different uh, angles, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just what you post on Facebook. It's that you and I are talking through a technological medium right now, Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're recording this. And where is that recording going to go? And who's going to listen to it? So all of this data, it couldn't be processed by people. It's just enormous, right? Yes. It's too big. This Way too much. enormous ocean of data. Mm-hmm. But technology can process it. And one of the frightening things about these technologies is that they gather every bit of information on you. And the more you make yourself available to the technologies, if you carry your phone on you. I mean, I've heard uh, people tell me that they would have a conversation with a friend about such and such. And then they'd walk into a hardware store and boom, on their phone would be an ad for the (laughs) thing that they were. This is 100 percent talking about and it's in the hardware store right yes this is 100 so, percent true because my me and my boss actually had a conversation about this the other day because i was talking to him about what i was studying with this show and he was telling me that that happens to him which is which is it's, it shouldn't happen like that so it's obviously like it's almost like your phone is recording you at all times and as you're speaking and saying something then they send that data to an advertisement company and that advertisement company will will some like Facebook will end up putting that ad on your Facebook or 
you know, on a, some kind of like, let's say if you're reading an article, you're going to see that ad right there of what you were thinking about or talking about. So it's, that's definitely deep. And it's almost like the Patriot Act. Well, oh, I was going to ask you, Sophia, if the Patriot Act was never passed, would that be legal for them to be doing that? I'm reading a little bit about privacy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as long as you are participating, you're giving your consent. So that's where the legality comes in. If you are willingly participating. I mean, I, I'm i not going to forget the point I was going to make. I'm sorry. We began this. No, no, that's okay. I'm just <laughs> reminding myself. But my question to you is, you and your boss think it's really kind of freaky that these ads appear. But does either of you contemplate stop stopping the your use of the phone like take it out of my pocket let me not have it on if it's going to collect this information about me and then throw ads at me has either of you discussed that oh you know what this makes me want to abandon my phone like if this makes me so uncomfortable i can just abandon it i personally uh it my phone i have to i have to have it for my work purposes because I'm on call like every night for uh, for a, for a water, you know, my, my water system. So something happens with the well, it calls me out. So personally, I couldn't do it like that. But um, I guess if they gave me like a flip phone instead, like the older style, I, I don't know if they still did the same type of stuff on that. I guess that would be an option. But it's like they give you the iPhone 10, you know, and it, and I don't, I'm not on there looking at Facebook or Instagram. Obviously, it's just my work phone, but it, it still is probably doing the same thing. But as far as my personal phone, um, I could literally get rid of that and only use my work phone, and that that could happen. Mm -hmm. But is it so. is it as uncomfortable enough for me to just uh, to stop? Well, if there was some stuff that I was hiding, then then I would probably be uncomfortable with it, and I probably wouldn't use it anymore. If I was selling drugs, if I was uh, doing stuff that was illegal. Uh, laundering money, anything like that, then I would be like, whoa, this thing's recording me at all times. I got to stay away from that. So uh, as far as them invading my privacy in that way, it's it, it's offensive and I don't, I don't think it's right. But um, it's not uncomfortable enough for me to, to stop using it because I ha actually have to use it as a, a tool for my work, you know? Well, that's one phone. We are talking now about your personal phone. Personal phone. Only thing I really like to do on that is is this. I have this podcast and I have my music and, I, and that's the thing I use... Uh, social media for only one platform which is instagram and it's like that's the, it's so hard for me to get this this podcast off the ground fully and get it to other people because i can't trust youtube or i can't trust uh, apple or i can't trust spotify or anchor to try to recommend my podcast because i'm talking about stuff that goes against the grain for every single uh, company that i'm actually on uh, they don't allow me to, they probably are not recommending my, my podcast to people when I'm, you know, on some, some episodes I'm talking about the vaccine or talking about nine 11 or the government doing this. And, and, you know, so I, I just use it as a, a promotional tool. Well, you could use a computer. You could use those same services on your computer. Yeah. I mean, if you have your phone on all day, if you have two phones, in in your pockets all day long or near mm -hmm. you then you're irradiating yourself quite seriously yes i agree with that i've seen some uh some videos on that and i've also seen video i don't know well i don't want to switch the subject because we're, we're kind of sticking with this but the thing is about a computer it's isn't it kind of the same thing because right now i'm on a laptop and i'm i'm looking at at my uh on zoom and i'm seeing my face and there's a camera right here just 
you know, on, on every laptop. So are we talking about a desktop computer only? A computer that's wired. Your mm -hmm. laptop is using Wi-Fi. When we talk about radiation, mm -hmm. we're talking about wireless radiation. Okay. Your choice is to wire your computer with an Ethernet cable mm -hmm. and plug it into the wall or to cart your laptop around the house and use your Wi-Fi router to connect to the Internet wherever you are and mm -hmm. run your laptop on battery. So you have choices, which you evidently aren't aren't really thinking about I think the radiation aspect is not worrying you at all even though at this time you have trillions of cells that are collapsing mm. uh, in one way or another and are having to rehabilitate themselves right mm. um, but this is I mean what what the point I was making earlier was that as AI surveils you through mm -hmm. these two phones in your pockets and through all the information you you and others, I don't know so much about you, but others give up. You know, they post on Instagram every single thing that happens to them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's AI crazy. never forgets anything about you. So the picture it, it mounds of you, it's building a 3D picture of you. Every event in your life, if you wear an Apple Watch, a smartwatch, then it's mm -hmm. getting biological data from you, heartbeat and that kind of thing. Wow. So AI is building a record of you in the cloud, let's call it. Yes. And if I asked you to give me memories from your childhood, you would not remember everything. Yes, you, for sure. We have selective memories. There are things we want to forget. There are things we have forgotten. And there are things we do remember, right? Mm -hmm. But AI remembers everything about you. So in that regard, AI knows you better than you know yourself. What yeah. do you think of that? That is that's pretty interesting. Then that's definitely true. Um, I think especially with people that do post every single event and every single meal, and this is where I'm at, and I'm here just trying to show the world what they're doing. Uh, yeah. Or if you're taking pictures on your cell phone, right? That's another way to that they save into the cloud, right? So if I'm on a vacation and I'm taking pictures of, of my hotel room with my wife, I'm here, I got my kids. So every time you even snap a picture without even posting it, wouldn't that be saving it as well? Yeah, and you're making it, you're giving it up. Now remember there are um, things we've read in the past, the recent past that Facebook has said that everything, every photo you post on Facebook is their intellectual property. Yes, I have heard that, yep. Okay, so at what point, Josh, does this make you uncomfortable? The world you're living in, the amount of data it is fielding about you, and you are saying, well, right now it's not making me uncomfortable enough. At what point will you become so uncomfortable that you will say, I I'm not going to do this anymore? Well, for me as a Christian, uh, I think the point that I'd, I'd start feeling uncomfortable is when uh, we get closer to our, you know, as Christians, our end times, which I feel like we're pretty close to now. So like when I see the government formulating like little plots like uh, of, uh, you know, making a one world currency, uh, stuff like that. And then I feel like I need to take my family and, and go and, and maybe start, you know, uh, living more self-sufficient and staying away from, you know, when it starts to get to that, you know, where I have to be like almost like a prepper and all that. I, I definitely stay away from all that stuff. But um, 
that that's when I would feel uncomfortable when I need to start becoming a soldier for my family and protecting them or militia and up. I don't want to say that really on here, but you know, uh, you know, like that's when I would feel uncomfortable when I feel like that's happening. So then it would be your power and your planning against everything that AI already knows about you, right? Yeah, that's true. And how good a match do you think that is going to be? Well, that's not going to be good because they're going to probably know exactly where I'm going to go anyways. That's the mm -hmm. crazy thing about this. It's like um, I, I, when we did our 9-11 podcast, that's kind of what I was talking about, you know, and they, um, the way that the Patriot happened and then they were able to survey every single phone call, every text message. Um, that's why like when the COVID thing happened, I thought it was going to get really serious. So I started feeling like uh, I need to be, you know, I need to get ready, you know, for, for things to start happening. I, I actually thought that they were going to try to have us all stay in our homes, like for real, like it was going to get serious where they were going to say, everybody stay in your homes. You can't leave. Um, and then when something like that happens, it's, um, you're not, they're not going to allow you to be calling somebody and saying, Hey, let's, we need to, we need to fight against this or start a resistance because they have everything recorded anyways, you know? So that's when I started getting kind of, but I guess this is a level of even everything, everything's recorded even more than I was thinking in that level. I was thinking our phone calls are recorded, our text messages are recording, but everything is being recorded is what you're, is what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Everything. Wow. Yeah. Everything. <sighs> very you interesting. Have very little privacy. And as they record everything about everybody, they understand what human beings are like and AI starts to act like us. That's how it becomes integrated with us. Oh, so they're using all that information to make a better brain for the AI so they could start That's becoming it. more. Okay, so I wish I would have correlated that before. I didn't really uh, uh, put a correlation between that when I was going through all this the stuff you sent me and the newsletter and everything, that's that's very interesting. So they're just gathering everything to use it against us, basically. So it becomes more like us and probably even probably like an even better version because they know like every single personality at once. They don't just know like like me. I'm, I'm built, uh, you know, God gave me a, a personality um, and everything that I've been through. Uh, it's not like I can go through everything, but the A.I., is is learning every single situation that everybody's been through and every single personality that everybody has, right? So right. it would actually become an even more intelligent, super uh, human, basically. That is crazy. Well, I had you watch some interviews with Rajiv Malhotra, yes. who wrote a book. It's 400 pages plus. It came out... <laughs> this year i believe or maybe it was last year titled artificial intelligence and the future of power yes so i'm going to read a little quote from it go ahead please. that i put in my newsletter the ai-based concentration of power which we've been talking about has taken on a terrifying new aspect when we think of global power countries like the u.s china and russia come to mind but today, private companies are accumulating immense power based on their ability to leverage AI and big data as tools to influence, manipulate, and even control the minds of people. Some of these private companies, 
may soon become more powerful than many nation-states, but the shift will not be obvious. They will not fly a flag or man manage a currency, although some are attempting to launch their own cryptocurrency, and they will not wield military power, at least not directly. However, their unprecedented knowledge of people and things around the world, coupled with their ability to disrupt and alter the physical world and manipulate people's choices, will lead to a new nexus of power. Such companies will decide who will and who will not be given access to this new form of power and on what terms. Mm. Wow. So yeah. AI is basically like a slime. Mm -hmm. This slime has crawled all over our lives. It envelops us. And it seeks to elicit everything from us that it can in terms of data. So you've heard the term that data is the new gold, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So data is now more valuable than money. Because what you can do with data is what really counts. It's what gives you ultimate control. And one thing that people didn't think about in the days of signing up on Facebook and LinkedIn and all the different social media platforms, mm -hmm. if the service is free, the product is you. Yes. <laughs> that this is I read that part and I was like, wow, that's this is true because um, all these companies are are free. So you just sign on and you're just like, wow, I don't understand. How, how could they have a um, how could they have a stock if, if it's free? I don't understand. How could their stock be rising so much if it's free? So um, everything you've been talking about, like like me, for example, if I'm right now go on my phone and, and it's 11 o'clock and I Google um I Google McDonald's, like, boom, that information would go to McDonald's at, a, at 11 o'clock. I Google McDonald's and that's what, what time I usually like to go there. So McDonald's would know that on my Facebook, on my Instagram or LinkedIn or whatever to send close to around 11 o'clock, boom, uh, McDonald's ad, boom. Okay. McDonald's cool. So it would like, um, it would make me want to go eat McDonald's, right? That's just a small example of it. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a banal example. Yeah, But all this data that they're packing into all this, these, um, I don't know, let's just call them suitcases of data, they sell. And that's why they have stock that's of value, right? Yes. High value. Because they make money off what you're giving them for free. And so that's something we need to think about. <laughs> they're killing it because it's like... All they have to pay for there's their server and for that all the information being saved and they're selling these big blocks of data to these companies and they can actually I don't even know if it's illegal for them to take this block of data and sell it to someone like in China or or Saudi Arabia or Iran. I mean is it I, I mean if there could be companies that are LLCs that are owned by different countries, right? Would it be okay for them to take the data and sell it to them so they can analyze how we act over here in America? Is that Why something not? that they could do? Yeah, that is the stuff that people should be uncomfortable with. So let me just um, let me just read from Rajiv Malhotra's book. Okay? okay. Yes. Another quote. So India, India is a large country, 
it's considered a third world country. India is, uh, it has, I don't know, a billion people. I think it's one sixth of the world's population, a billion plus, right? Mm -hmm. It's a democracy. It's not communist like China, which is another very highly populated country. Yes. But this big data world, Amazon, Facebook, Google, all these companies owned by maybe 25 people, Mm -hmm. uh, 80% of Facebook stock is owned by 25 people. Wow. And so the top, the majority of the stock in these companies is owned by the same people, just a handful of people. 25 Mm. people is not a lot of people. Not at all. So what Malhotra has been dismayed at is that Indians who are very technical, they they make great engineers and they do a lot of tech work for all over the world for these big companies. They are doing this as work for hire. Mm -hmm. It means they're giving services and talents and skills to big data firms only for a paycheck, not for an ownership stake. So Malhotra says, and I will read, not one Indian company is a player in this league, meaning India doesn't have Facebook of its own. It doesn't own Facebook or part of Facebook, but its people are sitting there working as engineers and techs doing low-level sorting, even high-level uh, programming, but Developing. they don't own anything. So. He says, most unfortunate is that a talented number of Indians work for American and Chinese companies, including in top executive positions, but not as owners. Indians who do own companies tend to sell their stake when the right offer comes along. Whenever innovative entrepreneurs anywhere in the world develop a promising breakthrough, digital giants or venture firms that serve as their proxies are waiting to buy them out. So Malhotra is upset. Here we have talented people from India. He's Indian. Yes. And these Indians, they they don't own anything. They're just giving their time and they're working for a paycheck. And that's it. When they could be owners of this data. So it's kind of, well, I think you got to, I think the way that I would look at that is um, like me, or let's say we could just, I mean, I'm a rap artist, right? Let's look at it, look at it in that way. So there's like a guy like Snoop Dogg. He was in the ghetto. He uh, never saw money or really that much money at all. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up to him and offers him uh, a a gold chain and then a Mercedes Benz to come and rap uh, and make these songs. And those people are making millions off of this artist. And they gave him a a upfront Mercedes and 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 a gold chain. And he was okay with it because he's not used to seeing big money like that. So the people that are in India that are developing this type of stuff are like Snoop Dogg. They are not used to probably seeing a lot of money, so they might be super smart and intelligent, but once they offer them that kind of money, then they sell out to that company instead of, you know, going the full-fledged and making their own uh, development. Does Does that kind of make sense? Yes, that's a great example. Perfect. So he says, I'll continue, I view this trend as the return of Britain's East India Company, which started out as a modest private company for the purpose of making profit from lucrative trade with India. Mm. So that's like 250 years ago, maybe 300 years ago. Over its 250-year history, the East India Company became the world's largest private business 
amassing more wealth, income, and military power than even its own British government. Mm -hmm. Despite its private status, it was collecting taxes, operating courts, and running the military and other functions of state across India. At the time, the East India Company had more ships, soldiers, money, and territory under its control than any European government. So, I said, in conclusion, let me just read this. Okay, go ahead. This is my, these are my words now in my newsletter. Indians today, Malhotra ruefully informs his audiences, have failed to learn what they should have after centuries of toil under British rule. The principle of labor is all they naively recognize, while the more lucrative principle of property, intellectual mm -hmm. property, remains foreign to them. And like the East India Company that plundered their lands in the past, AI is rapidly conquering the minds of Indians who are copious users of Western social media and information technologies. Perfect. That's a great way to. That's the intelligent way to explain it. <laughs> I did it the ghetto way by talking about no, Snoop no, Dogg. No, no, you did it in a <laughs> way that kidding. was familiar to you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, okay. what people don't know is that trading with the Western world, the days of the East India Company were the days of the Mughal rulers of India. The Mughals were um, Muslims who had come into India. They had, in a sense, Arab traditions that they had brought into this Hindu state. Mm -hmm. And they set up as, the, as emperors. And there were many Mughal rulers of different provinces of India. So we know the Taj Mahal, right? Yes. You have a picture of that in your mind. That was built by, in 1634 by the Mughal emperor Shah Jahan. Mm. So it was a Muslim, and, Muslim yes. uh, temple, basically. Uh, looking, not looking, not a temple, but it looks it like it was built one. by a mogul. Okay. Yeah. So then there were there was this this area in India called the Bengal Suba. It that is t called the Paradise of Nations. So now I want you to just we're going to talk very simple numbers. Mogul India, two hundred years ago, two hundred fifty years ago generated one quarter of the world's gross domestic product. Mughal mm. India, 25% wow. of the world's GDP. Wow. And Suba Bengal produced half of that. Okay. All right. So from the Bay of Bengal, I'm reading from my newsletter, flowed much of the world's finest silk and cotton, woven by thousands of skilled textile workers. Bengal supplied saltpeter and gunpowder, wines and liquors, grains and rice. It had ships with advanced hull designs for shipping its rice. The Mughals had turned Bengal's vast reed jungles into wet rice paddies that fed all of India as well as other parts of the world. As agriculture flourished, Bengal grew sugarcane, fruit, exotic spices like ginger, turmeric, and cardamom, and the bright poppies that yielded opium. Okay? Uh, now we so go into the opium part. <laughs> tremendous riches were coming from Bengal. Yes. And these were simple people. They were not the European wheeler dealers. Yes. They did not understand how to manage money. Right? They didn't even realize what doing. they they didn't even really realize what like what they had. 
like exactly. all the stuff that they had. So they should have took it. They should have took a, a, a page out of China's book because the East Indian Company tried to do the same thing to China. And in like 1622 to 1624, they tried to go in there and try to uh, they try to make them use this port. One of their foots in Fujian and China ended up kicking their butts. If I could put it uh, <laughs> in a way. Uh, China ended up defeating an East India company. Did you ever research that? Yes, I yeah. did. It's mentioned briefly in my newsletter. But basically, the East there was the Dutch East India Company and the British East India Company. And they yes. both fought each other to oh. get more control over lands in the Far East, which included, there was also the Royal Africa Company, right? Oh, okay. It wasn't, I mean, there were all kinds of of companies that were running trade in the Far East, because the Far East had so much that Europe simply didn't have. Mm -hmm. Europe did not have these silks and spices and all these. And the, the aristocracy of Europe wanted this stuff. So in 1717, the East India Company got tax-free trading rights to Bengal. And this was a grant that, that basically... Um, got the British East India Company a fixed yearly payment, right? Man, yes. So the Indians didn't see what this would really do to them. And there's another very famous book about the East India Company and many other things called AIDS, Opium, Diamonds, and Empire by Nancy Banks. She writes, the British East India Company ascended to power through bribery, corruption, and murder, all sanctioned by the state. It trafficked in both drugs and humans. In 1661, King Charles granted the East India Company power to add to its charter the right to make peace or war with sovereign nations. This was an extraordinary without parallel concession. Okay. That's a company. That's what people That's need to company. understand. That a company that's like giving Facebook the right to make war against yeah, you like, know, another that's like, country. Yeah, like giving Facebook like, hey, you guys can use the United States Army uh, for whatever you need. And then uh, Twitter, you can use the Marines. And Instagram, you can go ahead and use the Navy, right? <laughs> it's like it's, that's not good for sure. Um, and then you were also also in your in your newsletter, I was reading that the that and that that in her book that they were actually moving opium and humic trafficking, almost like it's like a cartel, right? Because like absolute power corrupts, right? So they went from trading spices and goods to 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 actually selling, like getting into like moving drugs, uh, human trafficking, like moving opium, right? Yeah. Well, India was growing. It was agriculturally culturally very very productive. It did grow some opium poppies, but the East India Company managed to get the Indians to stop growing food and grow more opium because oh. it was, as Banks points out, the East India Company that started running drugs internationally. It started the international drug trade. Okay. Mm. So I will read from Wikipedia. In the 18th century, China enjoyed a favorable favorable trade balance with Europe, selling porcelains, silk, and tea in exchange for silver. That's all that the Europeans had to offer was silver and gold. And where did they get that? They plundered mines 
from of Africa. countries in Africa and South yeah. America, right? Yeah, they got it from Africa so, and South America, which is... Yeah, so they right. used force and domination in certain parts of the world and then took the silver and gold to the Far East. I've even heard that that's where the gold standard was set, by India, because India had no use for anything from Europe. Europe had lots of use for everything from India. So the Indians said, if you're going to pay us, pay us in silver and gold. Yeah. So China was the same. It was getting silver for silk, for tea, for porcelain. In the late 18th century, the British East India Company expanded cultivation of opium in its Indian Bengal territories. So they got on the Indians and they said, because the East India Company had so much military might, they mm -hmm. said, grow more opium. Stop growing food, grow opium. And then it would take this opium, the BEIC, British East India Company, and sell it to private traders who transported it to China and passed it on to Chinese smugglers. Mm. So That's now terrible. the emperor, 1729 to 1831, tried to issue edicts in China making opium illegal, but the smugglers and official corruption just made that very hard. So now the BEIC, British East India Company, had seen a new kind of opportunity for trade, right? Running mm. drugs. Yes. And so it would, it shifted Bengali agriculture into poppy production and that starved Bengalis. They didn't even have enough food for themselves or for the rest of India. So populations began to die and sicken in large numbers. And yet this opium that was being taken out of Bengal was being taken to China. And this was pushed by the Protestant missionaries in China. Yeah, the British East India Company arranged for Protestant missionaries to start getting the entire culture of China addicted from the level of the coolies, the workers, to and through the aristocracy addicted to opium. Mm. And this is how they brought in communism. They softened the, uh, the Chinese spirit with drugs, right? Wow. So the Protestant missionaries were, were saying, hey, we're going to go and we're going to convert people to to Christianity, uh, let us in your country. And then they'd probably be like, okay, they're going to be great. They're going to be good people. They're just trying to show people the Bible. And they're actually s selling them uh, opium to get yes, them addicted. the opium, yes. Oof, not good. Yes. So, guys, some people can claim to be Christians and, and obviously not uh, following what God truly wants, guys. So they, there's well, a lot of— this Go the, the goods coming out of India built the Industrial Revolution in Europe. They were the material on which industry fed. So if the Europeans couldn't have gotten all kinds of hard goods from India and the Far East, it wasn't just India, it was Siam, it was China, it was Indonesia, it was Africa. They, there would have been no Industrial Revolution in Europe, okay? Yes. So the other thing Banks says is what the British did was to commercialize drug production, trade, and marketing, linking these drugs to the development of capitalism. Opium created pools of capital and fed the institutions that accumulated it. And these institutions were banking, financial systems, insurance system, transportation, and information infrastructures. Opium consumption, this is the use of opium, 
subverted the social fabric of Southeast Asia, meaning it softened it, it crashed it. Yes. Wrought a violent, um, wrought a violent transformation to life and labor of peasants in Bengal. The use of force by the British through two opium wars to push this product into China underscores that social values are malleable against powerful instruments of the market system. Let's take that phrase and translate it. Do you know what social values are? Yes. Yes. Malleable means they can bend and, and um, be worked, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. They're vulnerable. Against means in the face of powerful instruments of the market system. Let's just call that an instrument of the market system is what's happening to us through these tech giants. Yeah, that's interesting. The uh, It's almost like, well, I mean, like it's almost like the CIA. I don't know. I don't want to switch the subject, but the CIA kind of did that to infiltrated the ghettos of uh of america by um taking you know cocaine and crack and dropping it into these ghettos and causing the same type of thing to their infrastructure you know uh exactly very very apt social values just got totally you know ruined the dads end up going to prison uh you know it's 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 so corrupt and uh it was by our own you know cia doing that so it's kind of the same thing, you know, they, t- they took a page out of that book and brought it to America and did it to our own people. That's right. And now this principle of robotics. So the principle of labor was that people worked in exchange for money. Mm-hmm. And in the old days, government did not protect the masses. It protected the people with property, the yes. landowners. So that was the principle of property, right? Yes. And then with the Industrial Revolution in Europe, the laborers got a little more power because there was more for them to do. They had a bigger contributing role. So for a while, the principle of labor and property were kind of getting more balanced. But yes. now we have intellectual property. So it and was helping a little bit, right? You were saying like we're giving a little bit more power to the workers, not like a lot, but just a little right. more, right? And then they but just took now, it right back away. Our, our, the real money is not in hard goods that are sold on the market. The real money is in data. Mm. And these data companies and AI companies, they have introduced a new principle, which is this what I call the principle of robotics. So as our lives get taken over by more automation, right, we lose jobs. So we're going to have this surplus of labor. What are all these people going to do? I got got to tell you about just this is exactly what's happening in my water industry. Um, If I could just add just a little second here, exactly what you're going through. So um, so in the water industry, what happens is people go around reading meters. So what they did is they created meters that put the that take the read and they send it to a satellite. So that read goes straight to the office. So now they don't need to have people walking around looking at meters anymore because they just send the read to the office. So that takes that job away. And then now next, they used to have operators like me go around to different well sites, get numbers, check residual, 
And now they take all that, put it on a computer. Now you can turn a well on and off with the computer. You can um, check what the uh, residual is from a computer, turn a, a chlorine pump on and off with the computer. So now that takes away, let's say, two or three people off of that now. Now you only need two people to run the system. Um, so it's actually literally happening in my industry, exactly what you're going through right now. So this is going to just start wiping away people and everything's going to be used with technology, like turning valves in the street. They're going to have like valves be able to talk to a computer and you could sit there and turn all the valves in the street instead of having people go around physically doing it. So that's kind of there, what we're going through. Another perfect example. Yes. The principle of robotics is going to disenfranchise people from having any opportunity to work. Yeah. And what's already happening is this, this change in the workforce is causing a lot of people to drug themselves with prescription opioids. Oh, they're going right. right back to what happened to China. <laughs> exactly. Like, but now it's geez. prescription drugs. It's yes. OxyContin. Yes. It's right. really bad so right now. The debt people are in is staggering. Mm -hmm. And this... Second essayist that I quote in my newsletter, Rana Das Gupta, who's also Indian, very bright man, he says, current efforts to disentangle wealth from the American population are even more radical. The prospect of large corporations run by owner strategists without human management is not far off. So yes. you're describing in your water industry this exact thing owners but, running companies without human management yeah so what do you like like you said what does that person that gets excluded from that job that we went to school for we got our certificates through the state of california right so now we have these certificates so we feel like all right we're making good money and then they they start slowly cutting off each person's job like well, like you said what are we going to do the only thing that we could do is go back to school and become computer programmers to learn how to run SCADA, which is the system we use so you know, like then that's then they're going to like corral people into only doing, you know, uh, you need to be able to work on a robot or you need to be able to work on a computer if you're going to have a job, you know. So I, I well, there are those two options. There, option number one is that you sit home unproductive and you collect universal basic income. Yes. Which that's which, option number one. Yep. Socialism. Option number two is that you be retrained. And they yeah. will help to retrain you. And this is going to cost somebody something. They're already using this in schools. And it's called ISAs, Income Shared Agreements. Mm -hmm. And the way it works is they say to you, all right, Josh, you know, you got to retrain now. And you say, well, how am I going to do that? I, don't, I have to go to school and I can't afford it and blah, blah, blah. And they go, we'll put you through school. But you will pledge... 20% of your earnings when you get a job after your re-education to this investment group <laughs> that has taken a chance on you. Oh, we were and, talking about that on the last episode, right? <laughs> yes. For five ISAs, years, 20%. For five years, 20%, Ugh. no matter what you earn, but it has to be um, at least $40,000. So you'll do the ISA, which is part of pay for success the pay for success capitalism hmm. or you'll be reforged as a person who is all for sustainability everything's going to be sustainable yes 
Or, you know what else you could do? Human energy harvesting, which I'm writing about now. Mm, that'll be the next episode. So, <laughs> well, kidding. human energy harvesting <laughs> is to take the body rhythms. For instance, they're already going to do this in India. Oh, I think I, I, think I saw one of the, the videos or one of the uh, ads that you had up there. But go ahead. The blog posts. What well, it was just like a little. Po I just saw like a little ad uh, thing where where you're talking about they're going to use human energy, as. Uh, yeah, well, it's not an ad. It's a blog post. Not an ad. I I'm to. so sorry. A, a blog post. Yeah. Yes, it's on my blog, sophiasmallstorm.com. So there, in India, which is a very densely populated country, a lot of people use trains, train stations, um, temples. And these other public places where there's tons of foot traffic, right? So they're mm -hmm. going to put piezoelectric tiles that collect the vibrations of human movement. Any movement, any frequency, movement and frequency are identical. Mm -hmm. When you collect those rhythms through these piezoelectric um, materials, let's call them nanowires, they convert the movement into voltage. This is how amplifiers work. It's called transduction. Industries already use piezoelectricity for eons. Mm -hmm. So amplifiers, speakers, microphones all use piezoelectricity. For instance, uh, you're a big lighter. When you put your thumb on that little flicker oh. and you push down on it, there's a piezo crystal. A piezo crystal has a particular kind of lattice molecular um, composition. So when you squeeze those piezo quartzes inside with your thumb on the little switch, mm -hmm. the crystal is deformed and it releases a voltage. It's basically going, ouch, and it releases a spark. And then mm. that spark ignites the lighter fuel and you get a flame and you can light your grill or your cigarette or whatever, right? Yes. So piezoelectricity harvests pressure and turns it into voltage and so there's as, no wire step as you step down it goes down it, it takes that pressure turns it into energy is that what that is yes wow the sound waves coming into your ear are processed by um, cilia in your ear there is a beautiful video on my website about how the ear works auditory transduction converted into nerve impulses which mm, are electrical and then those electrical, those voltages go and hit another part of the brain, and then they are reconverted into what you perceive as sound. So transduction is something very complex, and industry has been using it, and now they're finding ways to harness what they call wasted energy, wasted movements of human beings and biological organisms, and process them into voltage. So while you sleep at night, you have collected your universal basic income for mm -hmm. the day. But while you sleep at night, you've volunteered your body for the harvesting of your breathing and motions, like the blood flow in your body. Through, they put little piezo nanowires on you while you sleep. And you provide them all these movements and rhythms which generate little um, bits of voltage. And that goes into a, a wearable battery. All this is real. I started talking about this back in 2014. As you move, now. As you yeah. move, the battery is collecting all the energy that you're, you're creating for throughout yes, the day. Yes, in the form of voltage. And guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be running the blockchain. <laughs> 
there's a there's a a prison in the Philippines where if you want to watch TV, you jump on a uh, electric bike and you have to keep you have to actually use it to uh, to make the TV work. Sorry, that's kind of no, <laughs> it's, it's per- kind of... you are giving excellent examples. This is exactly <laughs> this is slavery, right? Yeah, yes. Human beings, biology will be running technology. This is called human energy harvesting. Yeah. I shorten it to H E H. They did it with so water. That's... They did it with water too, not to go back to water, but before you just have a, a river flowing down the, the, the stream, right? They're like, you know what? We could stick, uh, like we could make a, um, a, a propeller, dam. like a dam or propeller there, right? And that's going to, the, the water is going to generate energy for us. So we're just going to stick that there and we'll get, we'll use the energy from water. So that's not wasted uh, movements, right? So now they're taking it and using it on humans. Which is hydroelectric power. Yeah. Hydroelectric power. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wow. I mean, these concepts are very innovative, and because they're innovative, that people get excited about them. And dams have caused a lot of problems in yeah. the return of sediment. Right? They they blocked sediment flow. They have created a lot of problems in the uh, coastline, the nature of coastline, coastline geography, and topography. And floods too. Sometimes uh, huge, massive floods happen because the dams break and uh, hurricanes going at the same time, like Hurricane Katrina. There's stuff like that right. too. It the causes some natural disasters. Yeah. So yeah, when we get into an age where certain companies have more money and more power than governments themselves, and I than mean countries. honestly, the, yeah, the U.S. government buys data from Google. The CIA buys data. <laughs> that's so cute. there you go. Yeah. So the CIA is, yeah, that's, um, and, and I think that he was also mentioning a quantum computer, which, uh, China is trying to come out with to, which is like, it moves faster than any computer that we have. So it's getting really, really in depth. So the, the quantum computer, he was saying, uh, America could try to shoot a, a missile over to, to China if we were if we we're in war and the quantum computer could take that missile turn it around and put it right back into the United States which was yeah, very you're interesting talking about Rajiv Malhotra, Rajiv yes, Malhotra I, yeah. I urge listeners to go to his channel Rajiv R-A-J-I-V Malhotra I think you should spell this out for people oh um, yeah because it's hard to in your sh- yeah and then listen to some of his videos because he makes it very very basic and simple easy to understand he's very uh engaging don't you think he's easy to listen to for sure and he has a real soft voice and he you could tell that he is so into what he's talking about and he really cares like he's not just there talking to you because he wants to sell a book he actually is going through everything and he really cares about i think what he wrote and he really wants us to realize what's what's happening which is which which i really liked his videos i was enjoying him i actually looked him up on youtube and started watching his other videos I know. That's exactly what I did. No, he's very, he was an AI specialist in the 70s. This was when AI was just kind of taking off. And then he was also a physicist, and then he ran a lot of IT companies. He even calls himself a technocrat uh, at times. He says, I was a technocrat. But he has now uh, reverted. He has reversed uh, direction, and he has had a spiritual awakening. Now he's Hindu. Yes, um, I, I heard that. <laughs> and he is very much, you know, in concerned about India's spiritual future. 
what's yes. going to happen to Indians as big data mines them. He was talking about and materialistic so stuff and a lot of different things that are going to come uh, with, with this. Yes. So he's very engaging, very easy to listen to, quite brilliant. The book is fantastic if you want to get it, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Power. It's not expensive. Shipping is free. So definitely I would urge people learn more and you'll be able to learn it easily because this is a user-friendly material, as I hope our interview was. I think it was – well, you have the – for me, the way I'm looking at this because you have like a, a – a very intellectual mind and you you're, you're very smart and you, and you speak very very well and and you'd make it easy for us to understand and then i come in with my uh meathead uh responses and try to <laughs> bring it to my level because sometimes when i talk to you it's you're very you're very intelligent so I, I try to like literally pay attention so much so that when i respond to you i i respond to you um in an intellectual way as much as I can. In kind. But listen, you came up with brilliant real-world examples. That's exactly what we need in a discourse. I'm oh, thank you. delivering one kind, one style of communication, and you are feeding back, understanding, and showing really true life. This is real. <laughs> what you're yes. talking about is all real, right? It's happening to me right so, now. Yes, exactly. So anyway... Um, Thank you, Josh, for the opportunity. Thank you. I really Again. appreciate it, Sophia. And and me and, and just to let the audience know, uh, me and Sophia actually talk, you know, like on a regular basis if we can. Um, and she's a super nice, super awesome. I just want to let you guys know about her. Um, I, I actually use the soaps off of her website <laughs> right now. Um, and I, I've, I bought three of them. All, all three of them have been awesome for me. They last me about a month. I'm the only one that uses it, just me. Um, but the soaps, they're organic guys. So, uh, you know, the biggest organ on our body is our skin, our epidermis. So as we're using all these different fragrances and 99 cent store soap and all that, dude, we're putting in, um, uh, junk, junk stuff. That's not good, you know, and, and it's, you're soaking in carcinogens and all this stuff, all the scents that are in, uh, these, these, um, these soaps are actually, I've heard carcinogens, I believe. It just over time, you can end up getting cancer. So uh, I suggest you guys go so, on. I think it's $10 a bar, but it lasts me like 30 days for one bar. So, Well, the, it lasts most people a lot longer than that, especially if you rotate them. And yes. You must be scrubbing really hard, and there must be a lot of you. But, well. yeah, we have a grab bag <laughs> selection. Um Grab bag. I mean, is your wife using the soaps as well? Maybe she. I, I don't because because I have two kids, two kids that are young. So like we don't take a shower together like we used to. So she might be. I don't know. But I, I've been using them every time I take yeah. a shower. I well, stay away from all that other stuff she has. And I only use that. So, yeah, you can shave with this soap. You can even yep. wash short hair with it. And he has the soap maker has he's very he's a genius. I call him a soap chemist. He has many different kinds. I mean, on the website, we have all kinds Bestseller for men is gum turpentine and pine tar. That's what I have. Um, yeah, which and is I like very, <laughs> they're both medicinal. I do not have to use body lotion anymore oh, because I, this soap, just one pass, one time a day, that's it. You're moisturized. I don't put, okay, and guys, not like I'm a stinky person, okay? I actually use the pine tar like like probably like three or four times in my underarms, and then I don't put deodorant on, and it, and that lasts me throughout the day, which is, I don't I mean. It's like that, that usually, I mean, that's not like I'm like I have a real bad, uh, uh, BO or anything, but 
I'm able to use the pine tar and not have to put deodorant on. And deodorant's another wow. thing that is bad for you too. That's that's another that you guys should look into. Uh, carcinogens and that too. So, um, can you please yeah, so uh, tell them your website my, so that they can go yes. to that? My blog is sophiasmallstorm.com. Remember, Sophia is with an F, S-O-F-I-A, not a P-H. And uh, there's a link to the store from the blog. It says visit the store, see special things. So I would urge people in the store, Avatar, like the movie, A-V-A-T-A-R, avatarproducts.com. Definitely get some soap. We have a grab bag selection, $25 for three bars. And these bars last a lot longer than what Josh I don't know what he does with them. Like, <laughs> well, I wash my underarms four times. So those hairy hey. underarms are sucking up the soap. It's because of all the muscle that I have on me. No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> but anyway, I would urge people, if you don't want to use the soap as deodorant, as Josh does, um, there is a magnesium uh, deodorant in a roll-on. People love that. We sell out of that. That was actually my idea. It's just magnesium chloride brine. Brine means a concentrated solution and water. It's just magnesium chloride and water. It's a salt solution. And it um, will alter the biome in your underarm and you will not be stinky. And uh, what else? I urge people to try the magnesium cream. That's another bestseller. Mm. Little bit of pain, little bit of stiffness. Immediately you will notice the difference. Because magnesium relaxes tissues. So it starts to take pain away like in less than a minute. And it's something you want to use on a regular basis because our bodies are very deficient in magnesium. Yes. So, yeah, take a look. The store, um, we have very safe, body-friendly, full-spectrum LED bulbs. And if you buy 10, you get one free. So and this is how Sophia makes. This is how Sophia makes her living. She she researches. Yeah. She gets. She just gives us all this, all these uh, jewels and and diamonds. You know, she as she's researching all this stuff, spending time, and then she makes her living off this, guys. So if you guys could please go to the website, check it out at least. At least take a look. Um, but I recommend. So far, I've used the soap and the uh, was. Is that the iodine drops? Iodine. Yeah. So I've I've used both of those and and everything's been been awesome with it so far. But, um, thank you, Josh. I'll, no problem. I'm gonna go ahead and close in prayer. Um, Father God, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak to Sophia. I ask that you bless her day, uh, keep her safe throughout the day, and and myself. I'm going to Los Angeles today, so please give me a safe drive. Keep my family safe, Lord. I just want to thank you for uh, giving us a clear connection on this on uh, this go around. Last time we had some problems, so thank you, Lord. And uh, and we appreciate everything you do for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Sophia. I appreciate you. Yeah, same here. I enjoyed this. And, um, Me too. You know, we, got, we did it in a very uh, sequential way, right? <laughs> yeah. it, there was a sequence. It made sense. It flowed. Yes. So thank you for all that. Thank you so much. And then, Sophia, we'll have you on again in a couple months if you're okay with that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I love having you on. Thank you so much. All right, Josh. All right, talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.